We are getting close uh, to the end of the gospel project. We're in the, the epistles, looking at some of the little books uh, toward the end of the, the Bible. I'm excited uh, for Pastor Shane to speak again. He did a great job in Colossians last week, the sovereignty, supremacy. Um, I appreciated his, his, his speaking in about Christ, uh, about what Paul wrote last week. Uh, ben got to do his first communion. That was fun. It was fun to see that. So it's just a joy that you get that opportunity. You get Pastor Shane again next week, and then you get Elder uh, Roger uh, he, he's going to preach, and so you got uh, two weeks coming up. I'm sure you're going to enjoy. You're what, Jude? Is it Jude? Yeah. Wow, we're getting really close to end when we get to Jude. And so uh, this morning, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles or a gadget to the book of Philemon. We are going to preach a whole book today, but relax. It's only 25 verses long. So we're going to cover all 25 verses uh, in three sections, and we're going to talk through this book of Philemon, and hopefully God will speak to us. Uh, I, I know that you're thinking, Pastor Don, it's Valentine's Day. Why aren't we opening the 1 Corinthians 13? Isn't that the obligatory? 1 Corinthians 13, let's preach that. Love is, love is, love is. Well, I'm going to contend today that I'm going to speak out of one of the love chapters of the Bible. It's a chapter that speaks a lot about love and what love truly is, and it's not one you would think of. It's Philemon. The book of Philemon for love? Absolutely. And uh, when I started preparing this message, I thought, well, Lord, this does work for Valentine's Day. It's a wonderful reminder that love is not just the ushy-gushy-mushy feelings part. Many of you have heard me talk about love before in the world's definition. Love is a feeling you feel when you feel like you're going to get a feeling that you never felt before. It's all based on emotion in the world. This book comes along and it talks about the hard work of love. Did you know that? Anybody know that love is hard work? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get into it in a relationship context of love. We get into it with the ushy-gushy feelings, and that's wonderful. I don't down those. It's great that God allows us those feelings and emotions, but boy, it takes a lot more than that for it to stick and stay. Uh, one of the privileges I have as a pastor of doing premarital counseling and I've taken a dozen couples through this Symbus program. Symbus, S-Y-M-B-I-S. Saving your marriage before it starts is what it stands for. Great material. And I love taking couples through it. I had a couple in the church yesterday. They're not from here. But, but I, I sat them down and, oh, we had so much fun talking about what love is. What love is. They give a... Different types of personalities in this assessment. And both of the people in front of me yesterday were people that had a, a romantic mindset. That's a beautiful thing. You got a romantic mindset. But the warning for a romantic mindset is feelings fade over time. That's just true. Feelings fade over time. I love talking to the guys in premarital counseling and saying, be careful. We have a tendency of conquering and then we're done. We're like cavemen. We Club her over the head, grab her by the hair. We pull her into the cave and we've, we've accomplished. Woohoo! And that's just not going to make it. I, I, I always tell the men, you need to keep dating her. Keep dating her. Keep wooing her. We use that word wooing. There's never a context you can use that cool word. But that's the context. Wooing. I tell the guys, keep wooing her. Pursue her. And I ask them, do you know her? Do you, do you think you really know her yet? I'm 28, 29. She's not here. Don't tell her I didn't know exactly. 28 years into marriage. 
and I still want to pursue my wife. I want to study her. I know my wife likes Godiva chocolates. She's kind of expensive that way. Hershey's is okay, but it's not going to cut it. Godiva chocolates speaks love. You study your wife. You woo your wife. You keep dating your wife. Why? Because the tendency is, once you get married, it's kind of like accomplished. Isn't that sad? We're done. (laughs) Year one or two, we're done. No, 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 no. It can get better. It can. It can grow better over the years. But it will take some work. Philemon tells us about love, believe it or not. So let's pray this morning and get into the book of Philemon. Would you pray with me? Would you say this prayer, God, since I know you have something for me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give God that prayer. God, since I know you have something for me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, I pray you'd be glorified. I pray everyone hearing this message would be edified. I pray the Satan would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in a short book, we got to do some of the context. So let's take a little minute to take a look at the book of Philemon. The author is Paul. We've been on Paul now for the last several weeks. We've talked about his own journey. We've, we've done that work. And then uh, last week, uh, Pastor Shane gave you some good uh, Paulinian work in Colossians. And the date for this book, Philemon, is dated around 60-61 AD. Do you remember when we were talking about Paul? I talked about his trip to Rome. Probably about 64-ish, 64, 65, 66, somewhere in there, Paul dies. He's martyred. And so we're talking a few years before his death. And he's, he's writing this book of Philemon about the same time he wrote the book of Colossians. It's about the same time frame. What's the occasion for this letter? Well, it's a personal letter with a request, which is really unique. Most of the Paulinian letters are written to people, but to a broader church context. Now, I could make the point that Philemon was to be read to the entire church that met in Philemon's house. That's true, but it's a personal letter. Why am I telling you this? Keep your eyeballs here. This is important teaching. There's been debate since the beginning of the canon of Scripture whether this book should be included or not. People have gathered at councils and said, why is this book in the Bible? It's not like the other books. It's a personal letter written to a guy. And yet I'm so thankful in God's wisdom and God's preservation, he kept it as part of his book. How did it happen? I think a man named Onesimus made it happen. In this book, you'll see a little bit about the characters. Uh, There's a character named Onesimus that is a big majority of why this book was written. And he ends up being the bishop of Ephesus. Bishop's a nice, that's a big job. That's not just pastor. You're talking above the pastors, a bishop. I think Onesimus kept meeting and saying, it's got to be here. We've got to keep it here. This is an important teaching. And I'm thankful that it's in our scriptures today. Even though it's a personal letter, I'm thankful that it's there. Who are the key people? Number one, Onesimus. He is a runaway slave when this is written. He had most likely stolen money and things that he needed and taken off on his master. Another reason why a lot of people don't like the book of Philemon and many pastors won't preach it is because it talks about slavery. And many people think that in some way it condones slavery. It does not. If anyone were to follow the principles Paul taught in Philemon, slavery is going to just collapse. 
Again, I tell you, when the Bible talks about women, when the Bible talks about slavery, when the Bible talks about equality, it was way ahead of its time. It was radical for its time. And so I'm not afraid to teach what Philemon talks about and and about slavery. Once again, I'd say to you that the slavery that we know of is totally different than the slavery that was happening at this time. A lot of these people owed money and sold themselves into slavery to pay off their debt. And, and a lot of times they were uh, not mistreated. The Bible even talks about you're not supposed to mistreat your slaves. But a lot of times they were friends almost. But they were doing a job. It was like a hired wage person working for this owner. And yes, uh, we know that today that, that is terrible. We're against slavery. Any, any form of slavery is, is demeaning a person. It's making a person less than a person. And every person is made in the image of God. And slavery is terrible. Amen? Slavery is awful. It says this person isn't a real person. It's less than a person. I can own them. And that's, that's absolutely terrible. You, we would never condone that situation. However, even when Jesus walked on this earth, he did not set every social agenda straight. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't speak to every social ill. He did speak, however, truth. What do you speak if you want slavery to dissolve? What do you speak and teach if you want abuse to be done and gone? What you speak love. You preach how to love people. Because with love, you cannot have abuse. With love, you cannot have slavery. With love, you cannot mistreat people. So my contention is, as Paul teaches love in the book of Philemon, which would do away with the abomination of Things like slavery. But Onesimus, a runaway slave. Philemon, he's a local church leader. He receives this letter uh, with Onesimus in tow. The person who delivers the letter has Onesimus standing behind him, probably cowering. (laughs) After he stole from and then left his master. And then we have the author, which is Paul. He's apostle. He's church planter and author. He's got a, a large resume at this point. He, he likes to say, a prisoner in chains for Jesus Christ. That's how he calls himself. Those are the three key tenets. Can I ask you to do something? I boss here. When I talk through this passage, who is it you connect with in the story on a personal level? Do you find yourself to be the Onesimus? Do you find yourself being the Philemon? Do you find yourself being the Paul? There's room for all of that today. I think this, this book is a beautiful book because you could put yourself in the shoes of Onesimus and really get a lot out of this. Or you could put yourself in the shoes of Philemon and think, oh my goodness, what was asked of him? Wow. Or you could put yourself in the shoes of Paul, which I'll do, because he's a leader that has to write the hard stuff. Oh, it's not fun. It's not fun to have to write, listen, I'm going to ask you to do this, and you're not going to like it. It's going to be difficult. But do it anyway, because I know it's best for you. Three people today we're going to talk about. Here's the big idea. Love equals sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. Doesn't sound very romantic, right? Valentine's Day, love equals sacrifice, but it does. Love is going to require you giving up something of yourself. That's what love requires. It will require love for Onesimus-less to become Onesimus. Is everybody looking at that saying, is that a word? It is now. I made it. 
I created a new word this week, and I love it. Onesimusless. This morning, you can be Onesimusless, or you can be Onesimus. And why would I say such a thing? Because the name Onesimus means useful. What an irony. What an incredible connection. Names mean something in Scripture. And it's so ironic that the name Onesimus actually means useful. And I want you to watch the perfection of Paul's writing as he uses that that beautiful twist of words. And what he actually tells Philemon, you'll see, is you might think him Onesimus, but he's really Onesimus. It's really a great book. I'm so excited to teach it this morning. It will require love for Onesimusless to become Onesimus. First thing I see is I see appreciation. Let's take the book in three, three or four chunks. Let's look at Philemon 1, 1 through 7. Hope you got something in front of you. I'll read it. You follow along. Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, stop there, I'm all here. Uh, most historians believe that Aphia is Philemon's wife and that Archippus is his son. Archippus actually becomes pastor of the church of Colossae. He actually becomes pastor of the church of Colossae. So this is a family with some ministry ties here. Philemon, Aphia, Archippus. And to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Eyeballs here for a second. Paul expresses his love for Philemon and the church meeting in his home. It's a typical greeting. If you read all the epistles in the Bible, there's usually a greeting. and It names who the author is, the recipient, and it gives a little love tap. You know, in our world, it would be a fist bump uh, because of COVID. So uh, this is Paul's little fist bump to Philemon, but it's a very common thing. But it's very enduring. I want to point this out. Paul shows appreciation and expresses his love. Some people, as we develop this, some people say that he was being manipulative here. Paul was buttering him up because he was going to knock him, his legs out from underneath him. And I've heard teaching, you know, if you're going to have to reprimand somebody, bring them in, tell them three nice things about them, and then cut their legs off. And, and that's kind of manipulative. It really is, if you don't mean it. So have you ever made your children, if your children were mean to one another, have you ever made them say three nice things about their sibling? Like if they call them uh, you know, knucklehead or something silly, you know, you knucklehead, oh, you can't call your sister knucklehead. Now you say three nice things about her. Have you ever watched kids make up stuff? <laughs> um, you have two eyes. <laughs> uh, your feet don't stink too bad. You know, I mean, it's forced and it's not real. And I want to let you know that as I'm studying this book, I want to let you know I believe that Paul's authentic in his love for Philemon and in appreciation. I think there's an authentic uh, warmness between the two of them. And I think Paul is being genuine. I I believe he is. And I want to just, as you kind of look through here, look at the words used. Dear friend. 
fellow worker, partner, encouragement, brother. These are all positive words that that Paul is saying to Philemon. Philemon, you are these things to me. I love you in Christ. You're a brother, a partner. You encourage me. I love what Paul says about Philemon's heart when he ends this section of verse 7. You have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. That's a unique phrase that you don't find in Scripture very often. And it's probably something that Philemon's just known for. Philemon's a leader that when you get around him, ah, do you have people in your life that when you, you see them, it refreshes your heart? You know, we all have people that you, you see that drain you, right? You ever have those people and you see them and you're like, oh no. And you just know they're just going to suck the marrow out of your day, you know. But do you also recognize there are certain people that when you get near them, they just, they're like an oasis in the desert of life and they just bring refreshment to your soul and your heart i believe philemon was this type of a pastor for paul as he led this church meeting in his home there's appreciation and i believe friends it was genuine i i listened to something yesterday that just infuriated me i I was driving and I, I listened to somebody and they were talking about love because it's Valentine's weekend and it was the world's version of love. And, and, and in short, they were talking about how the fact that so many people commit adultery, they cheat on their spouse. It was just common. And because it's common, we got to figure this out. Everybody does it and yet it causes such a problem. So in the world's version of figuring it out, their decision was, we just need to make it so it's not a problem. I literally am listening to the radio, and, and, and the person was making a point, very smart doctor, was making a point that every person needs love and acceptance, community, they need unity and fellowship and love, and you can't get that in one person. That's what the doctor was saying. Our problem is you can't have all that with one single person. And so therefore, people go outside of the bounds of marriage, and they have extracurricular activities, but that causes hurt and pain. So they're job in life is to go around telling people stop being hurt you couldn't do it it's not your fault that you couldn't be everything this other person needed i'm thinking that's your answer then i started thinking about what god would say and you know what i thought the answer was he never intended there to be only one person that filled your life he put you in a community of church church does fill some of the voids you you'd lack with an individual community and fellowship and longing and meeting and unity the church is supposed to be that other part of your life god instituted two things in scripture marriage and the church both should be a part of your life you're not lacking anything and there is no excuse to walk out of the bonds of a a sacred things like marriage to have a need fulfilled there is no need for that and it is wrong it's called sin and no we shouldn't just say since everybody's doing it let's make it okay So I propose this morning, as Paul talks to this church, we as a church ought to make sure that we're being everything that we're called to be. We're loving one another, keeping each other accountable. We're helping disciple one another. We're encouraging one another. And when Paul says this appreciation, I start thinking, are we appreciating one another? Oh, how I appreciate you. 
I don't have time this morning. I'm looking at faces and thinking of what I would say for each of you. I, I, I could say a sentence or more for each and every person I'm looking at in this room. How I appreciate you. I think some of these same dear friend, a fellow worker, a partner, an encouragement, a brother. Appreciation. I think Paul had it for Philemon. We need to make sure we show it to one another. The second part of this book is an appeal. Here comes the hard stuff. Verses 8 through 18, follow along. After the appreciation part, Paul says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. There it is. Everybody say love. It's a love book. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, or useful, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was Onesimusless to you, but now he has become Onesimus, both to you and me. Isn't that beautiful artwork? Did you see what Paul did there? The name Onesimus means useful, and Paul just said, he has become useless to you, but he has now become useful he used his name. He's Onesimus less to you then, but he's become Onesimus to me now, and he can become Onesimus to you once again. Useful. Everybody say useful. That's a beautiful thing. Oh, I love that. It, in verse 10 there, he said he became my son. What does that mean? Onesimus got saved. We don't know how this happened, but Onesimus found Paul in prison. We have no idea if he ran away and he was in jail, maybe. We, we don't know if he was working in the jail. We don't know anything about what happened, but somehow, and I say not coincidence, but providence, God brought Onesimus, who at the time was Onesimusless, to Paul, and he gets saved. One could say he was Onesimusless in life. And because of Christ, he has become Onesimus in reality. He becomes his name. The appeal. Let's keep reading. I am sending him, verse 12, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. This is so Beautiful. Paul's appeal here is he asks Philemon to forgive Onesimus for the sake of three people. And this is where it becomes a love book. Paul is teaching the hard fact to to Philemon because this is an unbelievable difficult thing he's requesting. Onesimus has been, or Philemon has been wronged. And we know that slavery in itself is wrong, but Onesimus was his and working for him and, and producing, he was being useful to Philemon and then he steals and takes off. Philemon has a legitimate beef. Paul even recognizes it by saying, I would like to keep him, but I know I can't. I have to get your permission. You have been wronged. 
So Paul recognizes that Philemon's been wrong, but he's asking for a huge thing. He's asking that Philemon takes Onesimus back, but not as a slave, as a brother. Can you imagine how difficult that is for Philemon? Put on the Philemon shoes for a moment. He wronged me. You're not just asking me to forgive him. You're asking me to take him back at a loss. You're you're asking me to be a double loser here and swallow it and just take him back now as a fellow believer, as what you called me. You want him to be in relationship with me like you and me are in relationship. Paul and Philemon are on equal footing as brothers in the Lord, partners in ministry. And Paul says, I want you to take Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother. And Paul says, how much better is this? Philemon's like, oh, yeah. So says you. I'm the one that's taking a big loss here. But did you notice what Paul then said? And I love how he says it. And if he owes you, we know he does. He owes Philemon everything. He's in great debt. He's, a, he's in trouble. That's why he's hiding behind the, the letter deliverer, hoping he's going to accept this letter very good, you know. He says, if he owes you anything, I want you to charge it to me. And I don't know if you've got the depth of the gospel, but what has just been given to you is a telling of Jesus Christ and you and me. I don't know whose shoes you're in as you read this. Again, I, I kind of think of Paul. As Paul's writing this, he's thinking, oh, Lord. I love Philemon, and I know he's such a great guy. He's such a wonderful church leader. I know he's going to do the right thing, but I know I'm asking a lot. I can just feel it. As a leader, we do hard things. We do incredibly hard things. We show up at funerals. We show up at the hospital. We, we, we go to places where on the way there, I'm shedding tears, thinking this is going to be difficult. We end up showing up as leaders and doing a hard thing. I think this letter was written as Paul prayed over it, saying, oh, God, help Philemon. This is so hard for him. But it'll be so powerful for the church if he does it. I, I relate with Paul here. I can, I can think about Philemon and the anger and the, oh, you're asking a lot here. You're asking me for a whole lot and a lot of loss. And I, I can imagine as we talked about forgiveness before, how difficult it is to forgive somebody. That now this wonderful man, church leader, he's got to do the right thing. I mean, for crying out loud, Paul asked him to but it's going to be hard. But everyone in this room, eyeballs here, everyone in this room needs to put your shoes of Onesimus on. Because standing before a holy God, we are all Onesimusless. Your name today has been written anew and you are useful to God. Everyone here is useful. He, he's created you for a purpose. He saved you and you've got purpose. But when we came to God, we were nothing. We were Onesimus-less and we had a great debt. And we stand behind cowering. We stand behind the cross. Because God wrote a love letter. Last week, Shane uttered one of the, my favorite verses in Scripture. And there it was, nailed to the cross. The list of your condemnations. The list explaining how anesimusless you and I are, it was nailed to the cross. Jesus took it and paid for it to make us onesimus once again. This, this love book talks about Jesus 
Christian to Christian, brother to brother, whether you feel like Paul or Onesimus or you feel like Philemon, it's all pointing to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that what Paul did here was beautiful. Let's talk about Onesimus first. The Onesimus one has received Jesus and been restored as Onesimus. So the useless one has been saved and now he's useful. He's useful to God. He's useful to Paul. He's going to be useful to Philemon once again. He's eventually going to be useful to the entire church as he becomes bishop of Ephesus. He's useful. God did that. He changed him. There's Philemon. He's got an opportunity here to display Christian unity by modeling God's love and forgiveness Philemon, as a church leader, has a great opportunity to show the church what God did for us. Here's this person who owes a great debt they cannot pay, and I have forgiven that debt. Wiped it clean. It's a beautiful picture. He can model the gospel. But then there's Paul. As a leader, what is he doing? He's modeling God's love and forgiveness by imputing Onesimus' debt. There's imputation in this, this, this book. Paul is saying there's a debt that needs to be paid, so put it on my account. Did you catch that? Paul is saying, you know what Jesus did for us? He paid the price. Imputing means take the debt, put it on someone else. That's what happened with your and my sin. It was on Jesus on the cross. What a beautiful picture here we got to keep going. Assurance. There's appreciation. There's appeal. Now there's some assurance. Where did my... Did I... Oh, there it is. Thank you. I'm not going to be able to read it in small print. So here we go. Verse 19 through 22. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. One more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. This is where Paul kicks up his leadership. He expresses appreciation, he expresses an appeal, and now he gives some assurance. He has confidence in Philemon, and he lets him know that he's going to come visit. This is leadership 101. Paul lovingly does a couple of things here. He mentions that he won't mention Philemon's debt. (laughs) Did you catch that? I love how Paul says, and I won't even mention that you owe me your old life. That's a a weird thing we have that when we say we're going to not mention what we just mentioned. (laughs) What Paul is doing here is saying... This Onesimus list came and he received Christ. He becomes Onesimus once again and he's a child of mine in faith. And then he says in Philemon, you're one of my child of faith too. I brought you to the gospel. You got saved. If it weren't for me and you, where would you be, Philemon? That's why I wanted to show you that little card today. What a beautiful thing to have children in the faith. When I got that letter on Monday from that youth pastor who's serving the Lord, now you know what happened to my heart. I mean, I leapt for joy. I was, nothing could have knocked me down on Monday. Man, Michigan State could have lost three basketball games and I still would have been happy. You just couldn't have taken the air out of my sails. To know that you're, you're beneficial, to, to know that you're useful for something, 
And Paul graciously lets Philemon know, I'm not even going to mention this, but I am your faith father, just like I am Onesimus' faith father. And I'm not going to tell you what you have to do, but I'm pretty sure you're going to do it. I'm confident you'll do it. Wow, that's leadership. Paul anticipates and wishes to experience the benefit of a refreshed heart. Did you see what he did? Remember back in verse 7 when he said, Philemon, one of the things about you, you're a heart refresher. When people are around you, they are lifted up. They love being around you. And then later in the passage, he says, I would like you to benefit me by refreshing my heart in Christ. Philemon, you refresher, refresh me, your father in the faith. Boost me up. Give me some benefit, Philemon. Show me that you're going to be Christ-like in this matter. And then I love what he does. He expresses confidence that Philemon would obey, and he will enjoy witnessing it firsthand. (laughs) How would you like to get that in the letter? Here's what you have to do. I'm not telling you you have to do it, but I know who you are, Philemon. This is the kind of guy you are. You're going to do it. And I'm going to love seeing it in a little bit. I'm coming to check it out. I I love that. And it reminds me of this. What's expected is connected to what's inspected. And I love what Paul did here. He's like, I expect fully that this is going to happen. And just so that we know, uh, I'll be there to see it firsthand. I'm coming. I'm coming. It's almost smacks of God saying, church, here's how you need to live. And by the way, I'll be coming back. I'm not leaving you here forever. What's expected is connected to what's inspected. Anybody trying to help their kids with homework? Anybody? Oh, my goodness. Man, if we have any expectation that they're going to graduate, we, we try to step in. And that's so difficult. They don't want you to step in. They don't want it to be inspected. They would rather what's expected be forgotten. And, and we say, no, what's expected is connected to what's inspected. And so Paul says, Philemon, do it, do it, do it. I'm coming and make sure. Do it. But there's a fourth thing that I never saw before that I want to bring out today. And that's the approaching abandonment. Everything I've taught you so far is beautiful. It could end right there. And now there's just a closing. I was going to leave the closing out. I was going to only have three points today. Then I saw the fourth and I thought, oh my goodness. What a teaching is here. See, there's an approaching abandonment coming. And I told you that I, I put myself in Paul's shoes as a church leader. I'm like, man, that had to be hard to do the hard thing. But then I look at what happens coming next, and I think, Paul, I hope you believed everything you told Philemon because you're going to have to do it. When we read in the last two or three verses, verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, Arstichachachachus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And it ends. What's there? What's in those verses? There's an Onesimus-less. He's hiding in those verses. There's an approaching abandonment that's happening right now, and Paul doesn't even know it. Paul just spent his whole time writing a letter to Philemon saying, Philemon, you do the hard thing. I know he abandoned you. I know he owes you. But you forgive him. You show Jesus. You show the gospel in how you live. And Paul doesn't even know it, but his Onesimus list is listed in the verse. Demas. Demas. Do you remember Demas, everybody? 
Paul doesn't know it yet, but he will be in Philemon's shoes very soon. Demas runs away, becoming Onesimus' list to Paul. 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10, we read it on the screen. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Paul doesn't know it yet, but Demas is going to abandon him. He's going to become his Onesimus-less. And he'd better, be, he'd better be up to living the words that he just preached. He'd better be ready to say, Philemon, when I ask you to do that, it happened to me too. And I'm thankful that I told you the right thing because when it came to me, I needed to be ready to do the right thing. Paul will be required to love and forgive. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 is a hard teaching. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. Again, this sounds like a quid pro quo. It's really not. This verse is actually teaching this one statement that I'll end with. I think this one teaching is this. Those who have been forgiven much must love much. That's what Paul was telling Philemon in the book of Philemon. Paul was saying, Philemon, I know you've accepted God's forgiveness and love. Now show it. Here's how you display it. You don't do it to earn God's forgiveness. You've already received God's forgiveness. Now be Onesimus. Be useful. And accept the Onesimus listens back. Love them. Forgive them. So at the beginning of this message, I told you, you might not have believed me. You might have thought, oh, he's stretching pretty far. But I think it's a Valentine's Day message. I think it's this. Love equals sacrifice. And we get a personal letter to me that just breaks down what love is. Love is willing, selfless sacrifice for the good of another person, even when they don't deserve it, and even if you get nothing in return. That's love. So it's Valentine's Day. I hope you love one another. I hope you might have a great meal with one another. I hope you can give candies and flowers and all that beautiful stuff. But can then I tell you to add to your love, sacrifice. Add to your love, forgiving. Because when we do those things, we are acting out the gospel. We are portraying Jesus Christ. When Paul imputed Onesimus' debt, Put it on my account. That's what Jesus did for us. That's love. Love is sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. So today, as you go home and think about Valentine's Day and all its mushy-gushiness, remember it's hard work too. And I'm thankful for this book. I'm so, so thankful. Aren't you thankful it's in the Gospels? Aren't you thankful it's in the New Testament so we can read it and we can understand that the church is often asked to do the hard thing. Everybody got to hear this letter. Philemon had to hand it to his wife and the son. Kind of not surprised that the son becomes a pastor of a church, right? His dad had had to be so sacrificial and loving. Man, I'm thankful for the book of Philemon. I'll ask our team to come up as we close our session in some worship of our great Lord and Savior today.
And I'd ask that you pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you today. Thank you for such great love. God, I thank you that uh, as we read this passage and we see the teaching there, that each of us can be challenged. God, help us to be like Paul. Help us to be like Philemon. Help us to be like Onesimus, changed. God, help us to be that type of a person. God, I pray that your love would overcome uh, all things in our life that we're struggling with. God, help us to do the right thing in all situations. In Jesus' name, amen.